Amen and excellent singing. Let's pray together, shall we? Oh, Father, what a good reminder in song of your great love for us, our unmerited and unworthy. Um, we are unworthy recipients of this great love. What a marvel and what a mystery that uh, God put on flesh and did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. He went to the cross and carried our sin there. Father, we're humbled by these realities and and we just thank you. We thank you for our great salvation in Christ. We thank you for the word of God that we hold on our laps now. And as we study together, Lord, would you just uh, through that, um, that innate power that is in the word and that mysterious role of the Holy Spirit illuminating truth, stirring our hearts, opening our eyes, giving us ears to hear, uh, would you help us now to benefit so much from our study of the word together that we would be a strong church, that we would be growing disciples of Christ that we would be wise and discerning people in this age of darkness. It's in Jesus' name we ask these things, Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. And why don't you grab your Bibles and turn to Proverbs chapter 1. We are continuing what we began last week as a series of standalone messages out of the book of Proverbs. We are wisdom seekers. We are trying to grow in discernment. And to become men and women and boys and girls, families that are characterized by good decision making. Because decisions matter, don't they? Choices have consequences. Will you say that with me? Choices have consequences. And so our decision making, our choices matter so much. I was reminded of this reality when I bumped into something I had read about years ago, and it's a group of guys who give out an award every year for essentially stupidity. Um, I don't think they're born-again men, and in fact, it comes through and with the edge and with the, um, um, yeah, the, the kind of the uh, almost inappropriate nature with which they write. They give out an award called the Darwinian Award. Uh, the idea is that they track news stories, real stories around the world, and they notate people who out of bad decision making are no longer with us. Their foolishness has cost them their lives and they give them the Darwinian Award. And the reason they call it the Darwinian Award is because in their minds it is, it is um, strengthening the gene pool of the human race to get rid of some of these people. So it is a, a little bit a borderline, almost inappropriate for us to talk about this. But I was reminded of uh, this story as I prepared for our topic today. We are out to identify the fool today, the fool's identity. I thought it would be valuable for us, even as we continue in the weeks ahead in our studies in Proverbs, that we right up front make sure we understand who the fool is that we're talking about in Proverbs. Uh, the story that I'm referencing ha happened at Yellowstone National Park. It was, it was a guy named Colin Scott. He was actually 23 years of age, so he was uh, at least four years past the apex of idiocy, but he was enjoying a graduation vacation. He had finally graduated from college. He gave himself a vacation to the Yellowstone National Park, and there he encountered the beautiful pork chop glacier, geyser, not glacier, geyser, and um, it was a hot spring uh, that bubbles up out of the ground. You know what a geyser is? And it reminded him that he could use a good soak, how much he would enjoy getting in the hot water and soaking. And, um, but it was forbidden to get into the, into the geysers. 
You know, what's bothering me right now is that I think I use the word glacier in the second service every time for this. Um, it really wouldn't make sense, would it? <laughs> Whew. Um, so there's this guy, okay? He's at Yellowstone, and, he, and he's at a geyser. It's a hot spring, okay? And it's bubbling up out of the ground. Are you with me, audience, here? All right. And, and the sign said that it's forbidden. You're not supposed to go there. It's off limits. And in fact, it even warned you that you could die if you get in the water. Well, still, this was his graduation trip. And, and um, so he, the resident of Portland, this Scott, this Colin Scott, thought that his uh, edumacation in college uh, gave him enough of a level of smarts to know when he could break the rules. And so Colin left the boardwalk and he walked up a hill he, in search of a private hot pot soaking spot. And in this area of the park, the, the crust of the topsoil is very thin mineral crust and it resembled solid ground, but it concealed scalding water pools. But he avoided these unseen pitfalls and he made his way up to this secluded spot where the hot spring was. It was actually recorded in an unreleased video, but Colin is seen reaching down to check the temperature. He then slipped. He fell into the boiling acidic water, and that was, of course, the beginning of the end. You chemistry students out there will be familiar with the properties of a turbulent hot acid solution. A significant amount of rapid dissolving was underway immediately while recovery workers were fighting a thunderstorm that was going on, and they were also struggling with the incredibly unstable ground that created danger for them. When they finally reached the spring the next day, the water had finished its work. There were no remains remaining. Only a wallet and flip-flops were left of of poor Cullen. The park superintendent stated the obvious when he said, this tragic event must remind us, remind all of us to follow the regulations. And the writer of the article says, college graduates are of no exception. And they gave him a Darwinian award. You know, I was thinking of a couple ways that that sets the stage for our study today as we seek to understand the fool's identity. I mean... First of all, it's a reminder to us, isn't it, that even highly educated people can be fools. Secondly, we need to remind ourselves that fools are almost always characterized by disregarding instruction and breaking rules. And thirdly, it reminded me that sooner or later, a fool will suffer for his folly, won't he? Well, I invite you to turn to Proverbs chapter 1, position your notes nearby. I think you'll find them helpful. We are going to study God's Word together in in somewhat of a topical manner here, and we are going to be turning back and forth in our Bibles. I think some of you with paper Bibles will have the advantage on the electronic Bible people today as uh, as we just kind of flip pages, and with uh, some rapidity... Um, we move through the first section of our sermon that is taking the Proverbs, taking a look at the Proverbs. And remember, these are worth noting because they were written by the wisest man who ever lived. They were also written by the, one of the most foolish men who ever lived, the same guy, Solomon. He wrote 3,000 Proverbs in his lifetime. We have over 800 of them recorded for us in the book of Proverbs, this book of wisdom. 
And by studying, we are promised a blessing and we can, we can become men and women and boys and girls who make wise choices because choices have consequence. Decisions have consequence, don't they? And we want to make decisions that honor God. Well, let's, let's understand what this person looks like. Uh, the, the person who is a fool, the fool's identity. First of all, I want you to see in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. It was a verse that we used last week. It says there that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So if you don't have any fear of God, you are not awed by God's creation. You are not awed by the holiness of God or humbled by the holiness of God. And you don't care what God thinks, then you have no fear of God in you. If you don't tremble at the reality of the potential of what it means to stand before a holy God and give an account of your life, then you have no awe of God, you have no fear of God, then you are opening the door of becoming a fool because a fool has no fear of God. Okay, But Proverbs 1.7 goes on to say then that fools despise wisdom instruction. And there we have uh, number one on our list, letter A, he despises wisdom and instruction. He doesn't want to hear it from his mom and dad. He doesn't care what teachers say. He doesn't care what his principal says. He doesn't care. He knows. He despises. That's a strong word, by the way, isn't it? Despises. He hates it. He loathes it. I'm using... Uh, the pronoun he. Is that a pronoun? He a pronoun? Thanks. Um, I'm using the pronoun he, um, but I'm using it in a generic term, a he or she. It can be a she, let me tell you. <laughs> By the way, um, there's three ways that the word, there's three different Hebrew words that are translated into English, F-O-O-L, fool, in Proverbs. I referenced this last week, and I thought you might find it interesting. Now, now, uh, make sure you know that I am completely an English Bible guy. I don't know Hebrew. I copied this out of a commentary. And, and there's three different Hebrew words. You know that Proverbs was first written in Hebrew. And when they translate the Hebrew into English, there are three different Hebrew words. And it sheds light on our understanding of what we read when we read the word fool in Proverbs. It kind of gives you a feeling for the broad range of the kind of person that Solomon is referencing. The first is a Hebrew word, something like kasil. And this is a person who is characterized by a dull and closed mind. Now, this person doesn't have learning disability. Don't get me wrong at all. Uh, the reference of him being dull and closed-minded is because he's foolish. He won't hear instruction. It's a volitional, willful position they're in. They could change. We're going to recognize in a few minutes that it's hard for a fool to change. But he's characterized by a dull and closed mind. We might say he's thick-headed and he's stubborn. So this is a person who is very stubborn. So if you've ever encountered this kind of fool, they are very difficult to work with because they're mule-headed, thick-headed. They are stubborn. If you flip the page to chapter 1, verse 22, this is an example of the word Translated from the Hebrew word kasil into English as fool, Proverbs one, uh, Proverbs chapter one verse twenty-two. How long, O simple ones? Remember these three people we looked at last week. The simple. How long will you love being simple? How about you scoffers, you mockers? How long will you delight in your mockery, your scoffing, and you fools hate knowledge? You stubborn, close-minded, thick-headed people. That's the word in Hebrew. That's what it means if you're a fool 
If you hate knowledge, and that just reinforces, 122 reinforces letter A and verse 17, that he despises and hates instruction. That word is used 49 times in Proverbs. Number two is Nabal. We're more familiar with this because we had the story of David and Abigail and her first husband, Nabal. And remember, he was Nabal the fool. That's a redundancy. He was fool the fool because Nabal means fool. And Abigail was very aware of what her husband was, the fool. She even said so. And you remember that he refused to acknowledge God. And that fits well because this fool is one who lacks spiritual perception. They lack spiritual perception. They don't care about the things of God. And Nabal, in our story of King David and Abigail, you remember he totally disregarded God and God's people And what did God do? God gave him a stroke, stroked him out. A few days later, he died. His heart stopped and he dies. So Nabal, that's one who lacks spiritual perception. This is used three times. And if you flip over to chapter 17, for example, I told you we were going to turn in our Bibles a good bit. If you turn to chapter 17, verse 7, it says their fine speech is not becoming to a fool. This is one of these spiritually imperceptive kind of people. It's Nabal. And then look at 1721, uh, and we're going to look at this in just a moment, but we're looking at the word Nabal, a, a fool because he's spiritually dull. He who sires or fathers a fool gets himself sorrow. The father of a fool has no joy We know that the wife of a fool has no joy either. That's the word Nabal right there. The third way that the Hebrew is translated into English as fool is this third point. It's will of some kind. I don't know how to pronounce these words. Um, But it, it means to be arrogant. It means to be arrogant, flippant, as well as mentally dull. A person who is coarse and hardened in his ways. And this is used 19 times in fool. Nabal is only used three times. This word, he will, is used 19 times. And in fact, our very first verse that we turn to, chapter 1, verse 7, the fool who despises wisdom and instruction is this arrogant, flippant, mentally dull. He's a coarse, hardened, hard-hearted person. So that all fits in our understanding of of definition of terms, but sometimes it helps to look at the grammar and how it was translated into English, and that helps us understand the, the breadth of this kind of person and what a fool he is. Secondly, I want you to see, and some of you would be able to relate to this, you could probably have tears roll down your cheeks even as you think about it right now, but he breaks his mother's heart. Let's take a look at Proverbs chapter 10, verse 1. Notice that this fool breaks his mother's heart. It says here, A wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish son is a sorrow to his mother. A sorrow to his mother. I'll tell you when I think about this is when I see television coverage or have personally been in courtrooms and I see uh, a person in their orange jumpsuit up there in front and the sentence is being delivered and you often will see the mother and I've seen it in real life. They will they will lay over or lie over on the person next to them and they will wail when the sentence is pronounced of their child and her heart is broken. She raised up a fool. And he's suffering the consequences of his decisions. We were just at 1721 
and look at it again now under this point in this context of bringing sorrow to his father. Verse 21, he who sires, the ESV uses the word sires, he who is the father of a fool gets himself sorrow and the father of a fool has no joy. How true it is. How true it is. Thirdly, I want you to see that the fool finds pleasure in wickedness and sinful behavior. Back to chapter 10, verse 23, and notice what it says here. 10.23, he says, doing wrong is like a joke to a fool. Doing wrong is like a joke to a fool. But wisdom is pleasure to a man of understanding. I want you to notice one thing. The structure of the proverb there is illustrative of many of the proverbs that Solomon wrote. It's a proverb of contrast. It uses the word but in there. So he says, doing wrong is like a joke to a fool. But then he puts the word but, and then he uses the contrast, wisdom is a pleasure to a man of understanding. See the contrasting. And you're supposed to read the proverb, and you're supposed to meditate on that. You see the one on the one hand, This person makes a mockery out of sin. On the other hand, the wise person doesn't do that. And they stand in contrast, and we are supposed to have insight about the reality of this condition by putting the contrast together. Another verse will parallel. They will say, they will show how it's alike instead of in contrast. So watch for these little patterns as you read. And you are reading Proverbs, aren't you? Raise your hand if at least three days you read, according to the day of the calendar, the three, at least three times this week you read a chapter out of Proverbs. Raise your hand. Pretty good and pretty bad. Not pretty at all. Come on, people. So you think about it. We have a book written by the wisest man who ever lived. And if you read it, you're promised a blessing and you will grow in your discernment. So if you don't read it, what does that say about you? Mm-mm-mm. Mm-mm-mm. And trust me, none of us in this room are as wise as we think we are. Keep reading your Proverbs, okay? Well, this guy finds pleasure in wickedness and sinful behavior in the NIV, it's, it's translated like this. In the, in the ESV, it says, doing wrong is like a joke to a fool. In the NIV, it says, a fool finds pleasure in wicked schemes. A fool finds pleasure in wicked... That took me back to my old neighborhood, a story I've shared before through the years. And my old buddies, Eddie, Ernie, Rudy, and Richie. And they were the cronies of the neighborhood. And I ran around with these guys, Eddie, Ernie, Richie, and Rudy. And they were bad boys, I'm telling you. I was a squeaky clean little church boy. And they were my buddies. We played a lot of ball together and different things. And um, this is about 1971. And, and hitting the market for the first time are bicycles with high handlebars, banana seats, and a sissy bar. They were so cool. So cool. I couldn't get one, of course. I had an old man's bike, you know, with the little bell on it and a, a little flat rail out the back of my fender there. You could, like, put stuff on it. And, and it's the kind of old man bike that you would ride at the beach or something. And um, Eddie, Ernie, Richie, and Rudy, they start riding these cool bikes. Really cool, high handlebars, banana seats. And then I noticed they have more bikes. And then I realized Eddie, Ernie, Richie, and Rudy have started a bicycle stealing ring. 
they are stealing bicycles. One day I come out behind Eddie, uh, Rudy's garage in the back of the field back there. And we had these empty lots and long grass back there. And behind Rudy's garage where they were hiding out, they had lit a fire. And they had a bunch of these cool bikes that they had stolen. And they took the handlebars off and the pedals off and the fenders off and the seat off. And they were, they were scorching the frames of these bicycles in a fire, bubbling the paint off. And then they would wire brush and sand them down in Rudy's gar- dad's garage. And they would spray paint them. And they would change the color of these bikes. And they would switch the seats around and the handlebars. They would take their... Now, some of you boys are get You better not do this. <laughs> And they would take a hacksaw and they would saw off the forks of one bike and they would run it down into the end of the forks on another bike and they would chop them out and they were so cool. And they loved it and they laughed and they had so much fun in their bike stealing ring, in their modification of all their bicycles. You see, to them, their sinful scheme was a delight. You know, those things lead somewhere, though. It was some years later, like two years later, Rudy was the oldest of us. He was kind of the ringleader. He was the best athlete, the biggest muscles, the fastest runner. He was tougher than the rest of us, so we did whatever he said. And one morning at dawn's light, our house was right there next to that empty lot field where the grass grew tall in the summer. And the police were all around that field. And on their megaphone, they said, Rudy, we know you're in there. Come out. We're, we're going to release the dogs. And it's so fun, this joking with sin, isn't it? Until a dog's got you by the ankle. And the cops are slapping cuffs on you and putting you in the back seat. And then, ha, ha, laugh, laugh, fun, fun, joke, joke. Ah, But every once in a while, you'll even see a fool laughing and smirking as the police cart him away. He finds pleasure in wickedness and sinful behavior. Um, Notice number four, he is very proud. Letter D, he is very proud and he considers himself to be exceptionally smart. Turn the page to chapter 12, verse 15, and notice what it says. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes. There's a contrast again, but... But a wise man listens to advice. No, but the fool, he knows that he knows. And he thinks he's actually smarter than everybody else. If you could look at a little spot down inside his heart and mind, he would be saying, these guys are so dumb. I'm glad I'm not as dumb as they are. He's wise in his own eyes. Letter E, his words, his words, his slang, and his conversation mark him as a fool. Chapter 15, verse 2. Notice what it says. The tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouths of fools pours out folly. Notice that it's not just a little bit. It uses the word pours out. It pours out folly. I mean, all of us are, have the capacity on occasion to say things we shouldn't say, even foolish things. But a fool is somebody that every time you're around him, you're going to hear it. It just oozes out of them. And you listen to their language. You listen to their words. You listen to their line of logic and reason. You listen to the way they think as it is exposed in their words, even their choice of vocabulary in the way they talk. And you recognize this is a fool I'm dealing with. Letter F, he does not respond well to or learn from correction. He does not respond well to or learn from correction. 17.10, notice what it says. A rebuke goes deeper into a man of understanding than a hundred blows a fool. 
a rebuke goes deeper into a man of understanding than a hundred blows a fool. I think the NIV uses the word lashes. Not sure, but the idea is if you were whipped a hundred times with a horse whip, you still don't get it. A wise man hears one word and he responds. The fool, he gets whipped and he still doesn't even understand. He, he just does not learn well. He does not receive correction. Why? Well, because we just, we just reminded ourselves a second ago that he's the smartest guy in the room. So how can he learn from a teacher when the teacher is so dumb? When his mom and dad don't know anything. Why, they're so old. They're in their 30s. See, that's how a fool thinks. I want you to look at uh, letter G. He's a very difficult person with whom to deal. Look at 26. Flip over to 26. This is another interesting writing pattern that the writer uses here. Chapter 26, verses 4 and 5. Look at this. Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him. Okay, so... Don't answer a fool according to his folly or you're going to be like him. And then we read verse 5. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest you be wise. Lest he be wise in his own eyes. Now, wait a minute. You see, I've been telling you, the Bible contradicts itself. There it is. It's a contradiction. First he says, don't answer a fool according to his follies. Then he says, answer a fool according to his folly. What are you going to do there? I penciled in the margin of my Bible. You just can't win with a fool. That's the whole point. You're supposed to put those two contradicting statements together and you're supposed to see on the one hand, I need to answer this guy according to his folly. Well, then I don't answer him according... Well, what do I... You know what? It pretty much doesn't matter what you say. You're not going to get through to a fool. By the way, this chapter 26, you can mark it if you get to it on September 26, unless you want to cheat and read it on another day. On September 26, when you read it, have your pen ready and just circle how many times... There is instruction about the fool in this chapter alone. At least 10 verses probably have the word fool. You'll circle that word fool and notice how he's teaching about it. You just can't win. They're a very difficult person with whom to to deal. In fact, look at the very next verse, 26.6. Whoever sends a message by the hand of a fool cuts off his own feet and drinks violence. Letter H, you need to know that a fool is also a very unreliable person. He's just unreliable. He will let you down over and over and over again. You can't trust him. He won't get done what you want him to get done. They'll tell you they'll do one thing and they'll do another. Or they'll come back and tell you what they did and you say to yourself, why did you do that? I never told you to do that. They are a very unreliable person. Sending a message by the hand of a fool is like somebody who cuts off his own feet. You just limit yourself. You cripple yourself. Letter I, finally, he never learns from his mistakes. He never learns from his mistakes. He does the same things over and over, and he actually expects different results. Look at 26.11. This is maybe one of the more familiar Proverbs that you will recognize. Like a dog that returns to his vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. Yuck. So you got to stop and think about it. Like a dog that returns... To his vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. So the point is, I already ate this once. Why am I eating it again? 
And it don't taste as good the second time as it did the first time. And then the third time is not as good as the second time. I got a problem here that I keep trying to eat this thing that I already ate once and it didn't work the first time. I threw it up and now I'm at it the second time, just like an old German shepherd out in his pen eating after himself. You got to be kidding me. Why did you do that again? You didn't learn. You think that you think that doing the same thing over and over is going to create different results? Come on, man. And that is a fool. And listen to me, especially young people who are here. If you are relating at any level to these identifying characteristics of the person who is a fool out of Proverbs, I think there's nine characteristics that we summarized out of about 30 references to the fool in Proverbs. You have a problem because point number two of our sermon is this. There's a problem with a fool. And the problem with a fool is in 2722. And the problem is that it is very difficult to change if you are a fool. Notice what 27, 22 says. Crush a fool in a mortar with a pestle along with crushed grain, yet his folly will not depart from him. There's a word picture. Now, you know this word picture, whether you realize it or not. A mortar is like a cup. It's made out of stone. It's an old school kind of thing. And the pestle is a, like a stone carved or hard wooden, hardened wood stick with a knob on the end, and you put things in the bowl where you can relate most of this image is at the pharmacy. The pharmacist to this day uses this image of the mortar and the pestle because pharmacists used to take their uh, ingredients from their, you know, their gardens and their different uh, roots and things that they would dry out and, and their remedies and they would put them in the, in the mortar and, and they would take their pestle and then they would crush it all. And they would work it together and mash it. And then they would create a powder to put in a drink to drink or formulate it into a pill form or whatever they were doing with it. The word picture in Proverbs here is of something larger. It's, a, like, a, it's, it's like a stone bowl with a big heavy stone handle stick. And they're putting wheat grain in there and they're making flour by crushing the wheat grain. So it's a... It's a hand-driven, homemade, countrified way to make flour out of wheat. You didn't have a mill, so you crushed the grain heads in there and you would make flour. And so there's a word picture. It's, it's got multiple levels. The idea of the writer to the reader is imagine that. Imagine putting a fool in the mortar, taking the pestle and smushing and smashing and grinding and mashing them. And the problem is after you got them all mashed, the fool is still in him. He's still got fool in him. You know how stupid's hard to cure? Fool is too. And it's still in him. And there it is. Even though you've busted him all up, you've mashed him. He suffered from it. There's part of the word picture. And so it's very difficult to change if you're a fool. In fact, a fool often suffers devastating, painful consequences to their decision making. And yet they seem unable to learn from their experiences. They are often characterized by negative, cyclical, unproductive and unprofitable life patterns. It's right about this time when a fool is being squished by a pestle, the pistol of life, and his bad decisions are squishing him. 
You can also tell you're a fool if when you're getting squished, you're not learning anything from it. In fact, what you're doing is you're pointing at others and you're saying why it's everybody else's fault. It's not my fault. It's his fault. It's her fault. It's their fault. It's the way I was raised. It was this. It was that. Listen, you will never get over being a fool if you don't begin to take responsibility for your actions. You got to begin to recognize that choices have consequence and your choices will lead you somewhere. It's very hard if you're a fool to get over it. In fact, let's, let's look at some different kinds of fool in Scripture and let's end up understanding the cure for being a fool. We want to profile some biblical fools. There are several biblical fools profiled for us in Scripture. The first one is back in Psalm, in the Psalms. It's Psalm 14.1, and we talked about him last week briefly in our introduction, and this one is where it says the Fool has said in his heart, Psalm 14, 1, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. You see, they are corrupt and they do abominable deeds and there is none who does good. It's actually teaching us about the tendency of wickedness in our own heart and how lost and sinful we all are in our basic state. But here's a fool who never gets over it. Here's a fool who says, there is no God. This is a fool who rejects God. This is the fool who rejects God. I thought as I wrote this down that there's at least two things we need to recognize about this guy. The fool who rejects God, number one, is foolish because, number one, this is a statement of arrogance and overconfidence. It is a statement of arrogance and overconfidence. Confidence. I mean, think about the cosmonaut from Russia, the former Soviet Union. Remember when the space war was on big time, getting into outer space, getting to the moon? And one of the cosmonauts from this former Soviet Union was out there in outer space, and he looked out his window, and he announced to the world, hey, comrades, there is no God. You still have to ask yourself, how do you know? Because I'm in outer space, and I'm looking out the window. Well, how do, but you're just in a small part of God's universe. In fact, God is metaphysical. God is outside of all the universe. And in fact, since that cosmonaut looked out his window, I think that, that space as we know it has, has expanded a hundredfold at least. And it just keeps going out and out. And how do you know? Have you looked up under every rock? There is no God. Who do you, it is a very arrogant thing to say, Man, there is no God. How do you know? Who do you think you are? Well, I just think it. Okay, man. Secondly, you need to understand that not only is it arrogant and overconfident to say there is no God, but you're a fool because it's, it's a statement of ignorance and it lacks evidence. It's an ignorant statement because you have no evidence to show that there is no, is no God. In fact, it's the other way around. All of the evidence points to the fact that there is a God. I mean, I can illustrate this simply with the chair here, for example. Okay, so we have a chair, excuse me, and we have a chair, and, and, and it's one of the more simple items in, in the room. It's really basic. I mean, I mean, compared to what's going on in your large intestine right now, this is nothing, okay? Okay, compared to how your, the, the tiny microscopic hairs inside your ear are receiving the word and the vibrations in this room so that you can understand language. Language itself is a mystery compared, this chair is nothing. 
It's, it's like a clot of dirt. It's nothing. And yet no one in this room would believe that the chair invented itself. Otherwise, like how did it know that four legs are better than three and three are better than two and one will really get you in trouble? Because there was some intelligence that went into it. And the fact that it really works. And there was an engineer and a craftsman. And in fact, the legs, I don't even rock in this chair. They're all equal size. And it was, it was manufactured in such a way that it's stable. And the back holds. And great big guy can plop down. And the back doesn't snap off because it was thought through. And the fabric holds up. And it's cleanable. And, and yet this is like, this is like simple nothing. And you say there's no God and you have evidence that there's no God and you're going to look at me through eyes that you have no idea how they work and you breathing in lungs that you have no idea how the next breath keeps coming and how your heart keeps beating even when you're asleep and how the universe is wired together and and it's all held together by the word of his mouth. What a God we have. And you're going to tell me that you think you're smart enough to look around and tell me there is no God. I'm telling you that you are arrogant. And foolish to say such a thing. And furthermore, you are ignorant because you have no evidence. In fact, you're ignoring all of the evidence that there is a powerful engineer that created it all. So there's the first fool. He's the fool who rejects God. Secondly, um, I want to I reverse B and C so that we just don't have to flip back in our Bibles. But let's go to letter C and let's talk about the fool who refuses the word of God. It occurred to me, even as I was preaching in the early service this morning, um, that, that these, these fools are sort of almost like a concentric circle or sliding down a funnel. You kind of have the broad, the broad uh, range of a fool who just says, there is no God. And then we're kind of narrowing it down a little bit. And he says, as a matter of fact, not only is there no God, but I reject his word. We have the fool who renounces or who refuses the word of God. He refuses to hear the word of God. And in Matthew chapter 7, we have the teaching of our Lord Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Turn with me to Matthew 7, please. And in verse 24, and Jesus himself defines a fool as somebody who refuses his word. They refuse to hear it. They refuse to obey it. They refuse to implement the word of God into their lives. Look what he says. Everyone, he's going to tell a parable here. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and they beat on that house, but it did not fall. He's strong. It's a picture of his life. And it called him a wise man. And everyone who hears these words of mine, so notice the beginning of verse 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine, verse 26, everyone who hears these words of mine, the first guy does the word, he obeys the word, he implements the word into his life, and he is wise. This guy rejects the word, he refuses to obey the word, And look what it says. He will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew. They beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. You see, sooner or later, the fool's life implodes because of his own folly. He cannot hold it together. His decision making and the consequences of his choices destroy his life 
and undermine him. And he's a fool because why? Well, first of all, he rejects God. And then we narrow it down a little bit more. He rejects the word of God. Thirdly, turn to 1 Corinthians 18. He even goes farther and this fool rejects and renounces the cross. 1 Corinthians 1, this one renounces the cross of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 118 says the word for the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, the ESV says. And the New King James and the NIV say that the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. The King James says the preaching of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. You see, this is the fool who looks to the cross and he says, I don't need it. I don't want it. I have no felt need whatsoever for it. And he has no idea that that is, that is like the most needed thing in his life for rescue is the cross. In fact, remember under number two, I said, you're in heap big trouble if you're a fool because it's very hard to get over being a fool. We are now getting very near the point where you need to understand your hope and getting over being a fool is to run to the cross. In fact, that's the fourth fool. He's the fool who runs to the cross and is a fool for Jesus. We'll look more at that in just a minute. The fool who rejects the cross is looking at the most valuable, precious commodity in his life, the shed blood of Jesus Christ at the cross where he can receive the forgiveness of sin and he looks at it and he says, I don't need it. That's the, that's the mental, dull of mind, thick-headed, stupid decision-making of a guy who's at a big flood in a hurricane. We can all picture this from the news. And he doesn't leave his neighborhood, and his neighborhood begins to flood, and there's guys riding bass boats up and down his street, and he's in the living room on the couch, and he thinks to himself, I don't need to get in a boat, I'm just fine. Next thing you know, the couch is floating, so he runs up the stairs, and he's up in the upstairs bedroom, and then the camera backs off and pans out, and the water's even with the, with the spouting on the eaves of his house, and it's going up. And then next thing you know, you see the guy crawling out the gable end window, and he hikes himself up onto the ridge of his roof, And the water is just a few feet away from the peak of his roof and whole houses are floating down the river and there's boats out there and the rescue team comes and they come up and the front of their rubber raft rescue boat comes and bumps against his roof and he's just a few feet away and they they have a stick and a rope and a life jacket and the guy says, nah, I don't need it, man. Guys, what are you doing? What makes you think I need rescued? Well, what makes me think you need rescued is that you're sitting on top of your roof with water a couple feet away from your ankles and you better reach out and get saved you better get in the in the salvation boat because the water is going to come up and it's going to be over i'll take my chances see that's that's the fool who rejects the cross he's got a sin problem and he can't stand before a holy god he can make no excuse for his sin And God will not let him into heaven. And in fact, God has a place prepared for sinners and fools. It's the eternal lake of fire. And you can argue with him when you stand before him someday, but he will open books and he will show you the record of your works and your foolish deeds will prove the sinfulness of your heart. Your name is not in the Lamb's book of life because you say, I don't need it, man. It's like the fool in earlier who rejected the word of God. 
He rejected God himself, the guy back in, we didn't look him up, but in Luke 12, that's the guy who built his barns bigger and, and he said, I'm going to live a long life and I'm going to build bigger barns and I'm going to retire and I'm going to love life and feast and eat and drink and be merry. And God said, you fool, you fool. Tonight, tonight is your time of accountability. And the man, he went and laid down on his comfortable pillow, picturing the big barns he was going to build and how rich he was and how much he was going to enjoy life. And, a, and just a little tiny spot inside his skull, in his brain, began to let blood ooze out. And it flooded the side of his brain and he stroked out and his heart stopped beating and he died that night. And he's standing before a holy God and he has no answers because he didn't care about God. And he didn't obey the word of God. And he didn't care about the cross of Christ. Now what are you going to do? You're going to laugh? You're not going to laugh. And so the only hope for a fool is to run to the cross. Let's continue to read in 1 Corinthians. So where is the one who is wise, verse 20? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? See, ultimately, God makes the wisdom of this world look foolish. For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God, through wisdom it pleased God, through the folly of what we preach, to save those who we believe. Who believe. What was the folly of what was preached? It is, Paul preached Christ and him crucified, buried, risen, and coming again, our only hope of glory. For Jews demand a sign and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. It's foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom, Christ is the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. I want to be a fool for Jesus. You can call me a fool if you want. The word is in the Greek here, by the way, is moron. Just be a moron. I'm a moron who jumps in the salvation boat. I run to the cross. I recognize I'm a sinner. And I want the power of Christ to begin to rebuild me. That newness of mind. Paul talked in Romans 12 about the renewing of your mind. That's what happens when you go to the cross. You lay down your sinfulness. You receive the righteousness of Christ. You now have perfect standing before a holy God. You have everlasting life guaranteed. You now have the Spirit of God living in you. You now have the model of Christ that you care about. The Word of God begins to make sense to you. You now begin to renew the way you think. And you don't think like the old fool used to think. Now you're a fool for Jesus, and you don't think like a world fool, an old fool. You think about you are in newness of life. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that all things are becoming new, even the way you think. This is your only hope, let me tell you. So you say, well, I don't think I'm a fool. Well, let's take a test. Number one, true or false? My parents grieve over my decisions, my behavior, and my lifestyle. True or false? Number two, Young people here, mainly. I hate school. I hate reading, and I love to disrupt class. I plan to drop out first chance I get. True or false? Number three, true or false? Truth be known, I really do consider myself to be smarter than most people. In fact, I have names that I call other dumb people around me. Number four, I love to laugh at things that are dirty, perverted, and sinful. Number five, true or false, not only do I laugh at perverted, dirty, sinful things, 
But my very speech is regularly laced with vulgarities and inappropriate words. And my speech betrays me. Number six, true or false, if I told myself the truth, I would admit that I continually make the same mistakes over and over, even though they cause me pain and frustration. Number seven, true or false, I often hear myself telling people I'll do things that I have no intention of doing. I am unreliable. Number eight, true or false, I am often told by people who love me, And the people who love me most regularly tell me to stop hanging out with people whom I consider to be my best friends. They just don't understand. True or false, number nine, I avoid the preaching and teaching of God's Word as much as possible. In fact, I find it quite boring. In fact, PV, I wish you'd shut up right now and let us out of this room. No interest. I don't know how you're doing. And every once in a while, I'm with somebody who I know is a fool. They're easy to tell. Been around a lot of them. And number 10 is true of them. Deep in their heart, there is a part of them that wants to give up. They want to humble their hearts before the Lord and others, but for some reason, they don't. Is that you today by any chance? Do you have any part of you that would say, man... But you're afraid maybe your buddies will laugh at you. You're afraid maybe that God is going to ruin your good times. You think somehow that the Bible is something that is somehow going to put you in a cage for your life? Are you kidding me? Maybe there's a part of your heart today. You're ready to become a fool for Jesus. Run to the cross, my friend. And admit your sinfulness. And believe that Jesus is the Christ. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Let newness of life take over. It's a process. Well, there's the fool for you. There's the fool's identity. Let's be careful that we not fall into the trap of being wise in our own eyes, identifying with the fool. Let's stand together and close in prayer, shall we please? And so, Father, may you, through your Holy Spirit, continue to bring conviction. Help us to identify the weak areas in our thought processes, the susceptibility in our own heart to be arrogant, to be proud, to be hard-hearted, to reject you, to reject the things of your word, your people. Father, if there's anybody here today who they can have had a little still small voice inside prompting them, exposing them for who they really are through the word, would you help them to just humble their heart right now? To break, break down, admit that you're not nearly as smart as you think you are. You also never know when some microscopic size organism in your blood is going to blow up into cancer. Your time's going to be up. It's no fool who runs to the cross. It is a wise man who runs to Christ, identifies with Christ, lays down the baggage of his sinful life, receives the forgiveness that is in Christ, robes himself in the righteousness of Christ, becomes righteous in your standing before God. Only you can take care of that, my friend, right now. Admit your sinfulness. Believe that Jesus is the Christ. 
Call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. Father, you know our hearts and our minds. Please continue to do a work through the word, I pray, in all of us. In Jesus' name, amen.